2,000 years ago, Jesus sat down on the side of the hill in front of a crowd of people who had gathered to listen to him. And this crowd was just a group of ordinary people, not much different than us here this morning and those who are watching online. And he came to describe why he had come, and he came to talk about this new kingdom that he had come to establish. And the kingdom that he described was unlike any kingdom ever known, and it was going to be a king, it would be a kingdom that would last forever. It wasn't defined by geographic boundaries or by demographics like race or ethnicity. And being a citizen of this kingdom wasn't determined by birthright or by serving in a military or by living within a certain region. No one deserved to be a part of this kingdom. In fact, you couldn't earn citizenship in this kingdom. And this kingdom was coming quickly. It wasn't something that would come after they died, but it would be something that would come after he died. It would be his death on a cross that would make a way for all to be a part of his kingdom. Citizenship in his kingdom wouldn't be forced on anyone, but it would be available to everyone. But the only way to be a part of this new kingdom was to make a choice. And that choice is whether or not you put your faith in Jesus. Who He is, that He is exactly who He says He is, and that He has done for us exactly what He said He has done, and, what he's, and the promises that He's made are true. This faith in Him is so much more than belief. It's a faith of complete trust. It's a faith of surrender of what we want. It's a, it's a faith of submission to what He wants. It's an all-in kind of faith, and it's a faith that can be seen by others. It's a faith that changes the way that we live and the choices that we make. When we put our faith in Jesus, we aren't just left on our own. God is with us. He puts Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. And this is what Jesus is describing on this hillside. And what we have heard so far is that he, hadn't, he didn't come to give us a new set of rules or to give us more rules to follow. He came as a fulfillment of the rules and He is the one who transforms us. We aren't transformed by rule keeping or by performing a set of religious rituals. We are transformed through a relationship with Him. And the words of Jesus we are focusing on this morning contain two of the most misquoted and poorly applied teachings of Jesus. Let's see if these sound familiar this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 to start. Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
How many have heard something like this before? All right, three of you. How, how many have said this, or at least thought it, when you were being judged by somebody else? First, let's start with what this does not say. Jesus isn't saying everyone should just mind their own business and keep their mouths shut. Which is often how this gets tossed around. Why? One, it's inconsistent with what he will basically say in the next breath when it talks about removing the speck from a brother's eye. And in this same talk about the kingdom that he's come to, he's going to say in a few more, in a few more verses he's going to say that we've got to watch out for false teachers, which inherently requires at least some discernment, if not a little bit of judging what somebody has to say. So first we need to understand what Jesus means by judge. The word judge and the kind of judging he is speaking against here comes from two attitudes that we can have towards others. The first is an attitude of being continually critical. Almost like hypercritical. This is the attitude of the critic. This is someone who delights in finding fault. Like you can never do right with this person. Or or someone who makes the non-essentials essentials. They create mountains out of molehills. Have you ever been around someone like this? No matter what you do, it's never good enough because it doesn't measure up to their standard. It's not how they would do it. Or what, they would, or what they would wear, it's not what they would watch, it's not how they would raise their kids, it's not where they would live or the people that they would call friends. And when we judge others this way, we won't be satisfied until the person we are judging conforms themselves into the image of us. And even then there's a question as to whether they are really good enough. Those who live like this are exhausting to be around. And it's exhausting and lonely to live like this. The the second is attitude of condemnation or, or continually condemning. This is someone who passes the sentence on another person. This attitude is the attitude of the judge. The sentence can range from looking down on someone or considering them less than us to even questioning that person's relationship with God. The sentence can come with stinging words or a deafening silence. It results in a breakdown of relationship with that person until they meet a set of expectations we require of them in order for them to redeem themselves with us. And even when they do what we've required of them, they're still on probation. And both of these attitudes are born out of self-righteousness, arrogance, and superiority. And when we judge this way, our judgments are hasty and they're unmerciful. Our judgments lack any kind of redemptive intent. And our judgments speak the language of guilt and shame. 
And Jesus says there's a consequence to judging with these kind of attitudes. The way we judge others is the way we will be judged. Both by what we say to another person, which is pronouncement of judgment, and by the standard we are using or the measure that we use. What comes around goes around, and we will start to reap what we sow. And then Jesus follows this by asking two questions in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. He says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is still, there, when there is a log in your own eye? And Jesus, with these two questions, speaks directly into our hearts. The place where this attitude of self-righteousness and arrogance and superiority comes from. And what he is saying is, when we see others through this lens of superiority or self-righteousness, it's like trying to see them with a tree trunk in our eyes. In other words... The glasses we are wearing are actually making us blind, or at best, distorting our view. And it blinds and distorts our view in a couple of ways. First, how we see somebody's behavior when we notice the speck. And when we see them through this lens of superiority, it causes us to make assumptions or jumps to conclusions about them. We don't take the time to listen, to understand where they're coming from. We don't know their story, and we don't even know what they understand or don't understand about the message of the gospel or what Jesus has done, which leads us to make assumptions about their heart or their motives. Seeing them through the lens of superiority causes us to use the wrong standard with them, or we measure them when we see them differently than we should. We evaluate people based upon our own broken and distorted standard rather than the message of the gospel. So the standard we use is how we do things, or how we live, or the choices we make. Therefore, the right way to live is based on how we live and think, and anything short of that is unacceptable. Or seeing them through the lens of superiority means sometimes we've forgotten who we are and what we've done and how much we've been forgiven, how much we've been shown grace or mercy. Jesus describes this in a story in Matthew chapter 18 where he talks about a king and he talks about a man who owed this king a debt he could never pay. It was an astronomical amount of money and the king was going to pronounce judgment on this man that would have required he and his entire household to be thrown into prison and and rather than do this this man begged for the king's mercy and the king had mercy on him and forgave him all of his debt and as this man is leaving court he walks past another man who owes him a few dollars grabs that man he shakes that man he says pay me back now and, and 
the king gets word of this and basically pulls this guy that he'd just forgiven and said, how could you do this after you've been forgiven so much? We forget who we are. But it also blinds and distorts us when we try to help somebody else, when we try to remove the speck out of somebody's eye, when we try to help someone through the lens of superiority, we always try to fix them. And and usually what this means is having them conform to who we are or how we behave, because after all, we're right. We want to control what they do, the choices and decisions that they make, and, and all of our focus is trying to get them to behave differently. If only I can get them to stop this or start that, then all will be good. And when we try to help someone through the lens of superiority, we also begin to assume the role that the Holy Spirit was designed to play in our lives. When we see through the wrong lens, it's easy to confuse our part with the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of people. It's the Spirit's work that transforms and shapes us to be more like Jesus and, and, and begins to reshape our, the desires of our heart towards, from to, being towards ourselves and directed back to God. We are not the Holy Spirit. In fact, we make really, really bad Holy Spirits. Jesus continues. Matthew 7, verse 5, he says this. He says, you hypocrites. That's kind of a drop the mic moment, right? You hypocrites. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's two steps to this. The first is to to remove the log from your eye. In other words, he's saying here, you need to change your perspective. Rather than looking through this lens of self-righteousness, rather than looking through the lens of superiority or arrogance, you need to begin to see others through the lens of the gospel. Paul summarizes this well summarizes well what seeing through the lens of the gospel is. And it's interesting, I was told the first service this, that Dustin and I don't really talk about the passages we're going to use in part of the music and then this message. And, and you know, this Philippians 2 passage just happens to line up today. So at least in my, my, uh, my experiences, when you hear something twice, you better pay attention to it. God must want to say something through this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. Do nothing, that means nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, there's no place for superiority. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself. In other words, Paul is saying here, You need, we all need to shift our perspective, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he has every right because he is God and he didn't hold on to that. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus is our example. He's the example of the fact that our attitude matters, that we need to have the attitude of humility and not superiority because we need to remember who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's all, he's also our example because our priority matters as well. That we have to put the interest of others above our own interest. Which when we remove the log, this allows us to see clearly. Because our changed perspective allows us to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel, that we were sinners, dead in our sin without hope, and it's only because of Jesus, who He is and what He has done for us on the cross, that we have been brought back to life. And even though we've been rescued and saved and we've experienced the amazing grace of God, we still struggle with sin. We are not perfect. But God, through His Holy Spirit, continues to change us to make us more like Jesus. And knowing this and remembering this leaves no room for self-righteousness or superiority. We didn't and can't do anything without the grace and mercy of God. Remember, remembering and reflecting on this helps us see others as we now see ourselves. Broken and messy people saved only by the grace of God. So what part do we play when somebody is struggling? Because there's a part here, right? Have you, have you ever had something small in your eye? I mean, it feels huge, right? It, it's, it's irritating. Sometimes it's like painful. And sometimes it's really, really hard to remove it yourself. You need some help. The same is true with those things in life that we continue to struggle with, our sin. We need someone to come alongside us and help us, to pray with us and pray for us, to ask us hard questions, to challenge us and to learn from our failures and celebrate in our successes. And this happens out of the context of relationship. This happens out of the context of a relationship that's built trust with that person. It happens when we've given permission for somebody to be able to speak into our lives. Like, I don't know about you, but if someone just comes up to me and they lay out their finger out and they're about to dig in my eye, like, I'm like, whoa, I'm all set with that. It happens out of right setting. It happens one-on-one or, or in a small group of trusted people, and it happens when we're willing to invest energy and time in somebody else. In all of this, it's so important to understand where somebody is in their journey towards God, because this is what leads to what Jesus says next in Matthew 7, verse 6. He says, do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the second misquoted and poorly um, applied sayings or teachings of Jesus. 
maybe you've heard it before or thought it, you know, just talking with him or her is like throwing pearls before swine. I've, I've said this. There was a, when I lived in St. Louis, when we lived in St. Louis, there was a young man that I would meet with over, over, and over again. We had the same conversation. And I would give him excellent advice. At least that's what I thought. Like, excellent advice. And every time we'd get back together, it was like we're having the same conversation. And I remember, like, going home to Wendy one day, and I was like, you know what? It feels like I'm just throwing pearls before swine. I stopped meeting with him. This isn't Jesus. This isn't Jesus giving us permission to write people off. To understand it this way is inconsistent with who Jesus is and even what Jesus has just said about not judging others. For him to say, don't judge others, and then for him to turn around and give us this unless clause, unless they're pigs or dogs, doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent with who Jesus is because this is the same Jesus that while we were still sinners, he died for us. This is the same Jesus that in Matthew chapter 9 you read that you know, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And we saw the crowds. When, you, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus' perspective. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, so what is Jesus referring to here? I heard this Really good explanation or, or illustration of this from a guy named Jim Bergen. Jim illustrates it this way. I have a dog, and her name is Fenway. And, uh, and every time, I'm, I'm, whenever I'm sitting down, I know that Fenway's hungry because she just comes and sits in front of me and stares at me awkwardly. And I know it either means she's hungry or she needs to go out. It's one of those two things, right? And typically it's hungry because she's always hungry. This dog is always hungry. And what if one day I just decide with Finway, I'm like, you know what? Get this really nice, valuable, you know, set of pearls I'm just going to throw in her bowl today. I'm, I'm guaranteed that what would happen is that dog would be like staring right in front of me again, right? She's just going to be looking at me like, what's the deal with the pearls? And I'd be like, those pearls, you don't know how much they cost. Those, those are really, really valuable pearls, which is the truth. And then maybe a couple days go by and the dog hasn't eaten the pearls. And so, you know what? I'm just going to, like, force those pearls down that dog's mouth. And she's going to like them whether she likes them or not. She's going to like them. And the next day, you know, I just put more pearls in her bowl. And, and over time, eventually, that dog's just going to dump her bowl over, walk over those pearls, and eventually she's going to see me as food. Here's the point. Pearls are holy wisdom may be true, and may be right, and may be important, and it's very likely it's exactly what's needed. Because we know whatever is happening in someone's life, Jesus is able to help. But, in certain circumstances, it isn't what is needed first. In other words, when someone is hungry or hurting or in crisis, or overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life, and a lot of us have been there. Handing out religious advice
this, or this is what Jesus has to say about that, may be right, but it's not helpful in the moment. So the response that we may get back from them, whether they verbalize it or not, is, I can't hear you, I don't want to listen to what you're saying, and I'm not even going to take it to heart. It's what I love about organizations like Providence Rescue Mission, who we heard from the executive director last Sunday, Sean, who shared about what God is doing through Providence Rescue Mission, where they're meeting the needs, the physical needs of the homeless in Rhode Island by offering food and clothing and shelter, but also with the message of the gospel. I love that we offer Celebrate Recovery. I love being a part of the Celebrate Recovery community where we're able to sit and uncover the layers of what's happened in our lives, of what we have done to ourselves and what we have done to others in a circle of people, and we do it through steps. There's a process of that, and it doesn't start with, well, you need to go out and make things right with the people that you've wronged, it starts with admitting that you have a problem. That's why relationships are so important. To be able to listen first so we're able to understand what is happening in the life of somebody and where they are in their journey. It takes time, it's messy. And sometimes it's one step forward, it's two steps backwards. But we should never, should never write somebody off. But this is only possible if we first allow the Holy Spirit to continue to remove every hint of self for us to become more and more selfless every day. That we become like Jesus because of Jesus. This is my prayer, that we'll always be a community of people who see ourselves and others through the lens of the gospel. That, that God would continue to strip away the layers of self that keep us from seeing others like Jesus sees them and he sees us. That we would be a community of people who listen first and listen well. That our investment would be in people. That we will build relationships by loving others as we have been loved. That we would take the time to come alongside one another when we struggle. That God would use each of us and give us his wisdom and discernment to know when we need to simply listen and when it is time to speak, to know exactly what to say. And maybe even more importantly, what not to say. I, I pray that our hearts would align with his heart and that we would help people find Jesus because he is the only one who can bring the healing that we need. Lord, help us to see like you see. Let's pray. Father, I, I would just pray that. God, help us to see like you see. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to see others as you see them. 
Father, would we be a community of people that continues to be focused on you, focused on this amazing thing that you've done for us through Jesus, and help us, Father, to know exactly what it is, to know exactly what it is you want us to do. Father, don't let us lag behind you and don't let us speed ahead of you. Father, would you deepen and enrich our relationships and open our eyes to opportunities to be able to come alongside one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.